Today, we are sitting down to talk with Mrs. Barbara Masoner of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and formerly of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. When I say we are sitting down to talk, I mean that we are doing this podcast interview very differently from any of the others. It's a first on location. We are in Mrs. Masoner's home, and we are face-to-face. You have lived in three different places, haven't you? One more. Uh, We've also lived in Los Angeles. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and that was most uh, 11 years ago. Okay. We moved back here. All right. So you were in Chattanooga, then you went to uh, Los Angeles. Yes, and we had children in there. Okay. We are joined by our mutual friend, Mary Sheets. Who has introduced me to Barbara Masoner through her daughter, Hannah. Mrs. Barbara Masoner has a long and rich story to tell. And since the focus of this podcast is creativity and our use of God's gifts of creativity, I will start by saying that Barbara is a portrait artist. And there are some of her works in her home and they are beautiful, to say the least. There is a downside to interviewing a visual artist on a podcast because we can't show any of their work, but uh, she's given me permission to post it on my website. So there will be a uh, post to my blog there and links to this discussion as well. Uh, Another aspect of her life, a large aspect has been a Christian ministry, which is often overlooked as a place of using creativity. And we will get into that as well. So, Barbara, tell us how you became introduced to visual arts and knew of your talents. I think I knew pretty early that um, I loved to draw. It was a way I was kind of a lonely oldest child. We lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was really introduced to art through the Wapernagy Museum of Art, which is right on the street. And... um, in my grandmother's house where we lived for a time, and I had an Uncle Bill Nye, uh, an EY, in uh, near Philadelphia in a little town. You know this story about them? No, no. It's just it's funny that you spelled his name, uh, and not to confuse with the other fellow. Uh, right. <laughs> Um, he was, uh, it's near Philadelphia and knew about Pennsylvania, which was an all, is still a whole artist kind of colony. And I would draw cartoon, cartoon characters. Uh, do you remember the cartoon, uh, Brenda Starr? Oh, yes. I yes. Well, I like Brenda Starr because she was a realist. She was a real person, not a, you know, an artificial person. And I would, I would send them, mail them to Uncle Bill. This was probably during war and after. And he had been taught very academically and rejected it. And he was a, a very strict abstractionist. And when he needed money, he built brick walls and knew about it. But he took me seriously and he'd make little comments on my drawings said the bat you know, it was tremendously encouraging. Well, right. So you came from a family that had artists in it. Yes. Okay. And it had art on the walls and the museum. I, I was yes. in the museum, you know, probably weekly. Okay. 
Was there anything in, in the Carnegie Museum that was really impactful for you? Honestly, the whole thing. Okay. It was a part national uh, natural history that led right in to the fine arts. Oh. Uh, but I was attracted to uh, realism, uh, you know, the well, Manet and before uh, John Singer Sargent, I noticed then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, had him in mind when I did this big portrait, which made me on my. Okay. It's interesting. I don't want to get off on my own thoughts, but this morning I was reading um, Psalm 143, I believe, and there's a verse in there. I think it's number five about musing. I muse on your work. I read that this morning. Oh, how interesting. And so I was carrying camping on that and I thought, you know, muse, musing and museum <laughs> uh, probably in the original languages had nothing to do with each other. But in English, they do because, you know, when you go to a museum, you should muse. That's, that's one of the points. Yeah. You know, um, I just, I thought that was interesting. And I thought about the essence of art for a Christian is really to muse on the uh, works of God's hands. Yes. In a sense. Yeah. I just really thought that was an interesting connection. Well, somehow I put that connection together too. And thinking about how I've come to see myself as creative, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have used that word necessarily in the past. And I've always been uncomfortable with the term artist, mm. especially if I'm not presently drawing or painting, mm. which I'm not now. I, I don't like to call myself an artist, mm. but you're uh, Questioning about creativity and what is creative is very helpful. Yeah. Um, yes, you know, it took me a long time to uh, define, to identify myself as a, as a novelist. It took a lot of years, and I don't know why. Um, no matter how many plays or stories. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> um, I think it may be my academic training where, um, you know, you study the greats, and so they're the novelists, they're the writers, and you think, well, I'm not in that category, so I really keep calling myself this, and I don't make a, I don't make a living by it either, which most writers I know do not make their living by, and so very few that do, so um, are their whole living, so, and I imagine it's true with artists, but that doesn't, in both cases, uh, it doesn't really it doesn't matter whether, you know, <laughs> and so if you're doing way. it, you're doing it. Sort of the way we're wired, Uh, I think, since the fall of Bayon. Yeah. uh, We still have this desire for perfection. Mm -hmm. And we go, we're not it. Mm -hmm. But that's how we're wired. So we don't accept really the gifts that he's given as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. That is is a whole different angle we could go (laughs) on of how we are so slow to accept. Uh, the gifts, whatever they are. Yeah. Is it from pride? I think it's from pride mm-hmm. a lot of times. Not always, but a lot of times. Um, so that, that's interesting about your childhood and, and having such a, a rich environment uh, with the mm-hmm. art. So uh, did you get to study art formally, formally, excuse me, as you um, were a child and into adulthood? Yes and no. 
uh, I was always drawing, and Uncle Bill was there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a program that Carnegie Mellon um, offered to uh, students. Uh, I think it was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. One student each could go every Saturday morning during the entire school year oh, to be yeah. taught. And I desperately wanted to do sure. it, but there was a boy. <laughs> And at that point in time, boys were considered breadwinners, and uh, he went all those years, mm-hmm. and I didn't get to go. Is this sort of immediately post-war? Yes. Yeah, World War II. Yeah. And yeah, that was a man's world. I mean, they had just been through a lot, yeah. and it was, you know, before things had happened in the 60s. But still, it's for you, it was unfortunate, and... um do you think he used? To, do you ever follow up on him? I never did. Yeah, um, but I I did get some help, and I had uh, a young man who was a little older encourage me. And I just reconnected with him last year, um, and he encouraged me to go to Carnegie Mellon and meet the dean. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a Catholic school, twelve years of Catholic schooling. And very few people in this little Catholic school went to college, and it was uh, like Christmas. And uh, he said, you know, you should think about college. And I said, well, I don't want to take some a man's, you know, boy's place. And he said, no, uh, that's not no longer necessary. Go and meet the dean. Mm-hmm. So this was like December, January. And I went and met the dean, Rice, at Carnegie Mellon, and he was wonderful, and I showed him a few things, and he said, well, I can't make any decisions because I'm not seeing enough of what you can do. So go home, start drawing, get a big sketchbook, and start drawing, and come back to me in a month. And he said, if your family knows anybody on the board of education, <laughs> or I mean on the board of turning him on, he said, you go in and you make an appointment with that person. You dress up and you make an appointment and you ask them to write a letter for you. Mm-hmm. So I did all those things. And I got a scholarship. Okay. <laughs> I uh, did not last the full length of time, but uh, I, I learned a lot. So I, I really did have some, some very good education, a drawing class before we began as freshmen was the best mm-hmm. because we were taught to use our eyes in a way that I hadn't understood making relationships between angles and things like that. That was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Getting down to the real basics of line yeah. and shape and all that. Yeah. yeah. That people take for granted. It's, it's, uh, it's like so many things that, People think I work with a lot of writers who are, and they don't, uh, who are trying to trying to get writ, uh, published, et cetera. And sometimes they don't want to do the work of just knowing the grammar, right. knowing the sentence structure, knowing the words, and and they also, you know, they don't want to get looking the best. Mm-hmm. They don't want to read. I want to write, but I don't want to read. No, 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 no. It would no. be like saying, I'm not going to go to a museum. Exactly. Uh, to look at the grades. And no, I don't believe they even teach uh, how to diagram sentences anymore. Uh, not, it, that's not generally, no. Yeah. yeah. 
So I know you did, Mary. Yeah, we did it. You, you know, but sixties. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you were in a progressive state. <laughs> yeah, I was in a still old, old timey. I think. Um, but uh, we did some of that, but not, you know, not as much as we should have. Um, I learned most of my grammar from taking Spanish, so which is oh, kind of interesting. Oh. You have to know that, and, and, which is another thing. That's that's part of your story as an artist. But I know that another part of your story is about your faith. So would you, you know, like to share as much as you feel like you should about oh, that? Thank you. I thought I was a Christian as a Catholic mm-hmm. until I got to Carnegie Mellon. And then I heard all kinds of perspectives that I was not prepared to even begin to try to defend. I just didn't know scripture. Yeah. Um, so really, I fell from the faith that I had for a good, bad 10 years. Can I ask, do, do you feel that you weren't um, even in the Catholic doctrine and, and traditions? Do you not feel like you were really grounded in that either? I, I think I was, but I didn't know how to uh, yes. talk with people whose perspective was so uh, tremendously self-centered yes. as opposed to Christ-centered. I, I knew that's, that was the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after I came to faith, going through a divorce in my late 20s, it was sort of a Jesus movement time in the late 60s. And uh, I was in Al-Anon, which is part of group to AA. And a girl started a Bible study. And um, I, uh, she asked me to come. And I was getting counseling. And I said, oh, no, I, I don't do that kind of thing. And she said, well, why don't you please come? My analysis is going to start, but I have to have a certain number of people. So I could walk, and I went, and they didn't need me. There were 25 young mothers, wives there, and me. And I came to faith through that. And so I just was on fire. Uh, The scripture that really drew me is, of course, the Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you would know what God wants you to do. The third verse, the Lord gave me a song for once, where I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is in love with you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And that has really continued to draw me to him. So I have uh, been since then what some of my family and others have rightfully called obnoxious Christianity. I'm sure that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> well, perspective. I I was a wasn't as sensitive as I, but uh, uh, the Lord is more real to me now. Mm-hmm. And I've integrated that with art right from the beginning because I was trained at Carnegie Mellon that your gift came first, your gift of whatever it was mm-hmm. artistically, creatively. 
the music school architecture theater were all in one built, and we were all trained. But that came before any relationship. Well, no. So when I came to faith, and Christ was the bigger reality. I knew, no, that's, that can't be true. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to draw a cheesy Sunday school art. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's Sunday school art that's not a cheesy, but anyway, I didn't have to do anything except what the Lord led me to. That is so profound because uh, some other people I have talked to who are devout Christians who are using their art um, specifically in filmmaking, you know, Christian films are notoriously bad and (laughs) they are, but they're a good group of people, friends of mine who are trying to change that, you know, to make films that are not cheesy, that are engaging and well-written and not cheesy you know and good production values and things like that so um but that that tension is so real i think to anybody who wants to do art who is also wanting to serve god you know where where does one start and where does one make and it doesn't it just it's together you know it is your gift and you can use them both but it's it's uh it's a hard thing for some folks yeah the the christian artist versus or the christian writer or the christian filmmaker versus someone who is that trying to give it to god and but do it as completely well as can be done yeah first from being in la for seven or eight years we went with a church there and we met a lot of people you know working at that mm-hmm. as well wasn't there dude they're so good mm-hmm. as far as uh your move from pittsburgh down to tuscaloosa <laughs> which is i always thought that was a funny name because it was like the it was a tusk and they had the elephant i don't know if that was supposed to be some Connection and DNA. Oh, is it? Okay. Okay. I saw that. It must have something to do with the the elephant, the roll tide and all that. So, uh, you say that is a good Tennessee and. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I've actually never been to their campus and I've been to a lot of campuses too. So, how did you end up in Tuscaloosa? Well, we were uh, in the Pocono Mountains at a community college before. Oh. And, um, Dave got a position as a professor of higher education at the University of Alabama School of Ed. Now, we were there for 21 years. Um, I uh, became active as a portrait artist. We had a fifth child, and uh, I started just drawing with a group of women uh, when my youngest child was in kindergarten. And that led to uh, some, some of us began a, an art alliance there that uh, we had shows. And Tuscaloosa was a small enough town that she could be a big fish in a small place. And so I learned how to uh, engage the newspapers. And, um, you know, we got things written up as much as we could. Yeah, that was at that time the main way for publicity. Now everything's. Digital internet zones. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Listeners, I love doing this podcast. I hope deeply that you also enjoy listening. As we bring this content free of charge, I have some requests that will help it continue. 
We have exceeded 2,000 listens for the 24 guests and 30 episodes. That doesn't include the YouTube listens. And none of it would have happened without Clemencia Villafuerte, our producer. I have to say that. I depend on her a great deal. In some ways, that number's great because I don't do much advertising or promotion. I depend on listeners to repost on social media and for the guests to post the links on their websites. On the other hand, it's really pretty low as the podcast world goes. Really, really low. So I can't monetize it, at least not yet. That's good and bad. You all don't have to listen to random commercials about the who knows what. Yay! And I don't have any financial help. Boo. So here are the asks as the trendy people say now. I'm not sure what was wrong with the word requests, but number one, keep telling folks about this podcast. Even if it's just one that you particularly cared for, tell them about that one and they might get interested in the others. Of course, keep listening. Third, and here's the commercial part. Buy my books to offset the costs of the podcast. I don't talk about them much because I'm really terrible at marketing. I have several novels available on Amazon. You can look them up under Barbara G. Tucker or Barbara Graham Tucker, as in Graham Cracker, rolling my eyes. Or you can ask me for signed copies. The most recent, Sudden Future, by Colorful Crow Publishing, would make a great Christmas gift for a reader of any age. I will have another coming out before Christmas, Long Lost Justice. Others are Bringing Abundance Back, which I call the Southern Chicklet Book, Long Lost Family, a not-so-cozy mystery, Long Lost Promise, even less cozy. I haven't figured out how murders can be cozy. And The Unexpected Christmas Visitors, a story about refugees. All are on Kindle, too. Also, I have short Bible studies. I'm not at the GoFundMe point yet. Finally, buy the books of the folks I've interviewed here, or will. Luke Manjay of Ginseng Diggers, Becky Woolley, Ray Atkins, Kami Ballantyne, Devereaux Shivington Stebbins, Susan Kirkland, Renee Winchester, Carly Land, David Cady, Millicent Flake, Noah Knox Marshall, and Amber Nagel. You are a person interested in the artistic community of Chattanooga, Northwest Georgia, and beyond. Help them out. Thank you for listening to this commercial. Okay, so let's get into this portrait artist subject because how did you settle on that as your, I don't want to call it specialty, but as your... Well, Brenda Starr, Brenda Starr was in my head and I was drawing people that would come to Granny's house. Sometimes I just, as a child, I could sit on the floor and then just draw. Uh-huh. Um, so I always love. Let me stop here. Did they did they like that? They didn't really know. Okay, <laughs> and that's the way I prefer. Yeah, I could see. They so you were doing drawings, weren't? 
Oh, okay. You were doing it as a subterfuge in a yes. sense. Yes. I need to explain about Brenda Starr. She was in the in the old Sunday comics. I don't know if she was in the daily comics, but she was a young career girl, redheaded, very pretty. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, and she was always getting into adventures as a, as a single woman. I think she was. Oh, was she? Yes, yes. yes. Okay, that's right. And she would get into um, various soap opera kind of adventures, but oh, the drawing was sort of realistic. And yes, the figure. Oh, so I. They weren't like peanuts or something. No. So I hadn't really done much drawing until uh, before college, but I loved doing people, and uh, I found that portraits were still very popular in the South. Mm. And oh. I began to get some more training. My post-college training was wonderful. One of the best portrait painters in the country was from Tuscaloosa. Young man. Uh, went to the North Carolina School for the Arts, I think, and was trained as an abstract expressionist. But after that, he went to Italy and was trained. <laughs> And he like, they know something about that kind yes, of thing. Yes, they did. And uh, Evan Wilson is his name. Oh. He is a fantastic artist to look at. He grows peonies and other things. And, and he was he was my teacher that really oh. learned a lot. Okay. Was did, it, did he have like a school? No, own? he just came back home to Tuscaloosa for a okay. while. And ladies were... Wanting to take sure. classes, and I found out about it. I wasn't part of that other ladies group, but um, he he moved to New York shortly afterwards. And uh, there was a painting I had of a model who ended up being his wife. Oh, I did her portrait. Somehow, I think in this move, she didn't make it. How do you think portraiture then uh, compares to other types of realistic art? I think it's a good practice uh, as far as learning to see. Portraiture requires some pretty strong studying and making judgments of relationships on a face or body. Mm -hmm. And I use portraiture as uh, a way I can more easily make money to keep on affording material. Uh, I love to do landscapes and still lifes and that kind of thing. And they are judged as harsh, harshly as a portrait. Mm. You probably see somebody's face. Right. <laughs> uh, John Singer Sargent, um, who's uh, impacted all portrait painters since, he said, portrait is a painting with something a little wrong around now. Huh. That was his definition. Portrait is a painting of something wrong now. Wait, I because don't. Uh, people will always find something a little wrong. Okay. Oh, I think her eyes are a little further apart. Okay. Or don't you see those ears are crooked? <laughs> you know, you're there's always some, and I never, I was taught never to draw or paint from a photo. Mm-hmm. So when I would do portraits for people, I would go and spend a couple of hours with them. And I would take five or six rolls of film in before the digital. And I would choose the, you know, maybe a couple of perspectives they could pick from. I never show the photographs. Okay. 
Okay. Did you so would someone come and sit for you for a long period of time like we typically sometimes? Um, sometimes they couldn't or weapons. And then I would go to them and take Rawls Hill and then, you know, just send that or go and see how it's this looking so far. I mean, you, this large portrait, um, right. I'm always asked, how long did it take? And she came, she was a, uh, a PhD candidate in environmental biology, but she was a waitress mm-hmm. and a redhead, mm-hmm. like Brenda Starr, <laughs> of course. And I uh, asked her if she would, I'd pay her if she'd come and model, and she was still finishing her degree. So she said, fine. Um, we put the costume together through the theater department, university. Mm-hmm. Yes, it looks like something in the 19th century. Is that the, which you were going for? I was going for Sergeant Eskis. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, but late 19th century, yeah. <laughs> the group that represented me were Portrait Brokers of America, were Portrait South, and they wanted me to do a big, showy portrait that they would give their reps. Otherwise, I was borrowing paintings back from people in the family and that sort of thing. So she posed and they took it and then I got sick and wasn't able to do portraits or anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So I got it back and, and mm-hmm. she and her husband-to-be uh, bought the preliminary drawing set. Okay. Okay. Um, so would people just come to you and ask, I mean, to you to do their portrait? I had... Uh, uh, flyers that okay. gave my fees, mm-hmm. and uh, I was largely friends that you know would commission me at first. But um, I did pretty well for about ten years. Okay, yes, it's just um, I've always wondered about people who would get their portrait done. I, is it? It's not just the money. It's you know. Uh, where, where is such a photographic world? You know, what do you think having a portrait painted of yourself is? It, what is the meaning of that? What is, why do people do it? Probably for the same reason they do a photograph. Mm-hmm. Well, although something that is painterly uh, may be more expressive than some creative photographs. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, corporations, hospitals, you know, they still seem to want painterly portraits. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily imaginative ones like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it means it would it would be a, a compliment in the family. Mm-hmm. You know, I could do your mother or something like that. It's like a gift. Yeah. Here, people like to have portraits of their children. I'll see mm-hmm. portraits of artists that I knew from here in Chattanooga in different people's homes. Mm-hmm. They're showing the Yeah, it seems to me that it, it would be you. You'd have the the gift, the the perspective, the talent of the artist that you obviously admire. You can get something to do with that you don't admire, and you get to see yourself through different eyes because the camera. It's not always objective, but we tend to think of the camera as objective. Yeah, there's obviously there's more to it than that. But um, uh, let me just yeah interject. I I never had a portrait of somebody who wanted me to do them. Mm-hmm. It was always 
somebody else on the family. Okay. Or a corporation. Okay. Yes. And that makes sense because it would be, you know, maybe this isn't the right word, but a little narcissistic to have somebody. It could be. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I had to think of some people I'd love to have ask me if they sure to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you think was your most exciting commission that? Um, most exciting, uh, positive and negative was a commission of a mother and two children. Uh, I knew the woman well, we were very close. She had been a divorcee and had remarried. We had that in common. We were in Bible study together and, um, her husband commissioned these, uh, this portrait and his uh, stepson and his uh, birth son, a couple of years difference in their ages. And I submitted a drawing or a small painting of the final painting. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was uh, considered like a full length of all three or three quarter. I can't remember, but it was a big painting and she was an influential one. And I was hoping others would see and um, when they came to the studio to see it finally, uh, the husband did not like it. He felt the older child had a, um, a negative expression of sarcasm or something. And he was not that kind of child to begin with. And I didn't feel that that's what I saw, and I was sorry. And I asked them if they, um, I said that you don't have to take it. I hadn't taken the deposit or anything because I knew that. I said that if you, if you don't want it, that's fine, but then it's not. And then I will show it. And so they left. They came back uh, maybe the next day, and he said, no, we'll, we'll buy it. We're buying it. And, um, they have it. It was there the last time I looked. Okay. And they come to love it. But it was uh, a real shock. Oh. And the son grew up to be just a marvelous, wonderful husband and father himself, close to his stepfather. So there was a lot that was resolved. So they were seeing something, or the man was seeing something that, you know, really wasn't there in the same like, Yeah. Okay. It's fascinating. Um, so, if you had to, you know, this is a question I often ask in the podcast is, what, what does the word creativity mean to you in your experience? Well, this, this was the most helpful question that okay. uh, you, you gave me. And I was thinking that since, as a believer, um, I understand that we're created in the image of our creator. Mm -hmm. And um, a perfectly loving God. And so that each of us has some created capacity. I didn't always get that connection. I thought, quote, I had a gift, but I had a gift because I had a creator. And um, but in my late 20s, coming to faith, I read a lot of Francis and Edith Schaefer works. 
And there was a Dr. Rookmacher. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Art in the Bible. Right. I can, it's not in print anymore. Mm. Because that was very helpful. And a lot of things that people that they led me to. Um, It was very uh, encouraging. Uh, But some people seem to have an inventive kind of creativity, like your friend Michael Mm -hmm. Largent. And uh, my husband is very uh, creative. He thinks outside the box. And so we look to him in the family to take care of things that I couldn't. Um, but mine, um, as I uh, kind of have said, uh, expressionism, conceptualism, impressionism, abstractionism, each of those schools can be used creatively, even in realism. I'll borrow, borrow some of that. But my pre- kind of creativity is that I look and study relationships between objects um, or people, parts of people, scenery. And I'm constantly using my eyes to measure um, and see if something feels a little out. I like something a little, you know, I don't know things. I don't do that at other people's house. <laughs> Uh, you probably want to do it at mine, but <laughs> right now. But I have had some good training after college, particularly to help me grow in that kind of creativity so that I couldn't better replicate what I saw. Um, and I guess um, I saw that I was doing several things as a new believer, thinking about art in the Bible. I hadn't read the Bible much before. And I began to read the Bible, and I'd be sitting up in bed at three in the morning, and I'd wake up with the Bible on the chest, and um, that began to form, you know, my thinking as far as what creativity is. It's it's interesting you bring up the isms, you know, the um, expressionism and all those kinds of things, and um, I got in this discussion with Michael Argent when we we had that is. You know, uh, I had seen some video that said that modern art was. Oh, I remember you talking. Yeah, and modern art was bad art because of the worldview or something, and and this you know the art, and that was the fellow's argument, and and Black took issue with it, of course, because he is more. I guess the word is conceptual. Is that what you no, say, Mary? That's what yeah. you call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he's a photographer mostly, and he does. Um, graphic design and he does do realistic just photographs of things but he also does very different kinds of things with the photographic materials or sound that way you know that I, I confess I don't understand <laughs> you know it's like I'm 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 going to lend myself to the realism now that's not to say that I don't go to a museum and get very moved by especially Guernica uh, you know, I cried when I saw Werner mm-hmm. in Spain. It was, uh, you know, it just was incredible. But I'd rather look at an Albert Bierstadt, you know, <laughs> or uh, Frederick Church, mm-hmm. uh, if you we're going to talk about that, you know. Um, so it's just, uh, um, it's interesting that you you try to bring some of those isms into the realism, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, yeah, just a copy 
of something. Right. But that will never, there's not much life. And yeah. That, that if you ask the other question was, what does the word create mean? And um, I, I learned somehow early that as I attended to people, as a little girl whose parents were divorced, living in my grandmother's home, I, I saw that being creative and attending to other people um, made people feel more comfortable. And it helped me. I learned people that way. I watched people that way. And it helped me to enjoy my surroundings more. I, I well moved things around here. Um, I did something this morning like, oh, yeah, that's, that's creativity. Mm-hmm. I just moved a pencil or something. Mm-hmm. But that's, um, I, I, I learned that the way furniture is placed makes people more comfortable or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, well, the way things are put on a shelf, flowers in the vase, kind of lighting in the room, making a bed. Mm-hmm. Cooking, sewing, wearing clothes, using cosmetics, uh, and structuring things uh, around the home. Um, and trying to be creative, even when I wasn't drawing or painting. But I'm being aware of that creative, and this I felt was kind of the thesis of my own thinking based on your question. To me, it means a cognitive connection involving myself and others deliberately considering different things about them. And it's always an option to be creative Mm -hmm. or not. I imagine myself, um, and I'm older than both of you, and as uh, even an older woman than I am now, I imagine myself bedridden or room bound and I can imagine just studying the folds in my sheets and still as long as my eyes were working I'd be making those sorts of connections as humans discovering the possibility of creativity and then learning to believe and know that we're known by our creator really release me artistic fascinating is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to add? We started a group. I started a group, I guess, with my husband's goodness in Tuscaloosa called, that we called Art of the Artist, the Word of the World. A little laborious, but we were talking about worldview and art. And there were, we had student artists and other professional artists or Christians um, in the group. And it was a dinner group that would meet in Tuscaloosa. And it was uh, very helpful to all of us um, because our worldview does come through with whatever we're doing. And that's something that I uh, feel very strongly about. I am not drawing and painting anymore, as I said, but my eyes are always working. And one of the things I, I learned that I didn't draw much after college until I came back to faith where I remembered, oh, Jesus, yes, that was you in grade school. Yes. Uh, now I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I saw that all those years I was not drawing or painting, but my eye had never stopped making the judgment on relationships and what I was observing, and I had grown as an artist. I was better when I started back, even though I hadn't done for so long. Okay, that's that's a very interesting thought, and if it's okay with you, we will at, we will end there. Well, thank you so much for considering me. Yes. Thank you for letting us visit in your home, Barbara, and talking to us about your life of art and creativity and faith in Jesus Christ. We have been talking to Mrs. Barbara Masoner of Chattanooga, a portrait artist and a great person to talk to. Thank you.